I'd like for you to turn to the book of Matthew chapter 16. And the verses are 13 through 17. I won't read them now, but I want to read them in just a moment. So I'll let you hold that place there. The deepest and grandest of all subjects is Jesus Himself. To talk about Jesus and to bring a series of lessons on Jesus is um, inexhaustible. It will go on forever. In fact, John says in the end of his gospel that if everything that was written and said concerning Jesus about what He did and what He said were written in detail, the world could not contain it. So if you had the whole world as a library for what Jesus did and what He said, and it was written in detail, the whole world could not contain it. The study of Jesus is inexhaustible. Now I want to say, before we get into the study, I want to say a couple of things about curiosity. About curiosity. I grew up in a world that believed that if you ask questions about Jesus that was construed as doubting Him. You just didn't ask a question, ask questions about Jesus. You didn't question the Bible. That was an insult to the Scripture thing. So if you ask a question or question the Bible, then you were considered a doubter and that was, that was taboo, you know. God said it and that settles it. You just take what we say and go on with it. The fact is that Jesus encouraged curiosity about Himself. And He encouraged questions about Him. Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And you will never come, young people, to truth. You'll never come to faith without, some, without asking some questions, without challenging uh, the Scripture. Sanctified curiosity, I would call it. And if you want to live beyond your years, that is, if you want to stay young until you die, somebody said he lived a long life and died young. Well, if you want to live a long time after people already plan to put you on the shelf or turn you out to pasture, somebody said that you need to have four things in mind. First of all, you need to be unafraid of change. You need to have an insatiable curiosity you need to be interested in big things, and you need to be happy in small things. I want to choose the second tonight and believe it, that, that if you want to live a long life young, live young a long time, then have an insatiable curiosity. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, meddling in other people's business. That, that's meddling. I mean, I'm not talking about digging around in other people's business. I'm talking about a quest that concerning Jesus Christ and and a search for everything you can know and understand about Him. Eleanor Roosevelt said that life was meant to be lived and curiosity was meant to be kept alive. The second thing I want to say and preface has to do with the context of this study and especially this study tonight. It is one thing to kind of separate yourself from what is found in Scripture and look at it as something like ancient history with, you know, kind of dust off the pages and think of this as a, of something that happened 2,000 years ago, a wonderful story to read and to think about. 
It's another thing to put yourself in the place of the event, in the, in, the, in the moment that it happened. That is, to transfer yourself as best you can back to the original scene and relive it as though it were happening then for the first time. So I want to challenge you tonight as best you can to set aside all the books that you've ever read about Jesus and put yourself as best you can at the original scene that we, we have here. And understand that these men didn't have somebody going around telling them, a prophet telling them about Jesus, and they didn't have a preacher. And there was an absence, really, of a lot of facts or information about this man that suddenly appeared upon the scene. Um, not a whole lot they knew about him. In fact, his family didn't really believe him until the very end, his own family. And his brother didn't believe in him until after the resurrection. So I want you to remove from your mind all the information that has prejudiced you concerning Jesus and has dulled the cutting edge. And I want us to try tonight to come back to the beauty of that pristine original moment when these men sat down with Jesus, when these disciples heard firsthand for the first time that he was going to die. Now he was their best friend and they're getting this information that he's going to die. And when he does die, word comes to them for the first time that they're going to have to carry on his work. And all this brings us now to this story that's found in the 16th chapter, beginning verse 13. Read it with me. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he began asking his disciples, saying, Who do people say? that the Son of Man is. Let me say parenthetically that, that when you read the term Son of Man, you think that Jesus is referring to His humanity. That when you see the term Son of God, you, you, know, you, you think, well, that's a reference to His deity. And when you see the term Son of Man, that's a reference to His humanity. It is not that way. In fact, in the book of Daniel, the term Son of Man is a direct reference to God Himself. And Jesus referred to Himself as the Son of Man, that is. He referred to Himself as the deify, the deity that's found in the book of Daniel. This, that's just an aside. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now the literal translation of this, the, the Get you, in, you don't have to take my word for it. Get a Greek New Testament and look it up. What it literally says is, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the God, the living. Okay? That is, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the God, the living God. Okay? So there are four definite articles, and I'll mention that in just a moment. Okay? And, and, and so Jesus answering said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. 
That is, this is not something you grasped, something you understood from a human perspective. This has come to you by divine revelation. Now, if you hadn't been with me to this point, I'd like for you just to, you know, to forget about what's next to you there and, and get a pencil and let's follow through this. There is no greater study than that of Jesus. Now, you, this you here is a, is a plural uh, pronoun. It's you disciples, you twelve, you. Now, you can't tell a whole lot about the chronology by just reading this because there's so many chapters left in the book of Matthew. But the time that this takes place is near the end of the life of Jesus. And these people to this point don't have the foggiest idea that he's going to die. They think that he's going to build an earthly kingdom. They think that Messiah, as the Jewish Messiah, would come and establish an earthly kingdom and would rule in glory like David. And they think he's come to do this because they've seen Jesus do what Messiahs do, what Messiah does. They saw him heal, they saw him raise the dead, and they heard him teach, and they knew that this man was different than just any man. He was a unique person. Now, now, now they've left families, and they have sold their goods, and they have uh, turned their back on their vocations, and they have left everything to follow him with the idea that this man was going to be Messiah in the earthly sense. And he's telling them that he's going to die. Now, it's going to be difficult for you because we know the rest of the story. To put yourself in their place, I want you to do your best to do that. Try your best to be sitting there in Caesarea Philippi and you're hearing news that this Messiah is not going to establish an earthly kingdom. He's going to be crucified. He's going to die. Now the timing of this, this event is very important. Jesus was at the zenith of his career the crowds were following him, and they were huge. And so he takes them away 25 miles um, northeast of the Sea of Galilee to, a, to the district of Caesarea Philippi. I've been to that place. I'd like, I want to drop that in. I'm a world traveler. And, uh, it's, it's a little place up in the hills, foothills, along near the border of Lebanon. And it's the place at the mouth of the Jordan River. 25 miles northeast of the Sea of Galilee at the extremity of the kingdom of Israel. And he takes these disciples up there to do this work with them. Why does he do that? Well, not many Jews up there. And he is taking them to a setting, to a place where there would not be people who would just because of race be attracted to him. Not there, they're not there because here's a Jew and they're Jews. There are not many up there. And he's taken them to a place where pagans outnumbered the religious Jews on purpose. And the surroundings of this place are impressive. One, one scholar says that where he stood at Caesarea Philippi, there were at least 14 temples that had been erected to the pagan god Baal. So they were scattered all over that countryside where these pagan temples to, God, to the god Baal, the god of fertility and success. 
And beyond that, there was at, this, at the mouth of the Jordan, at this very spot where he stood, I, is my humble and accurate opinion, there was this impressive, massive, white marble uh, monument or, or building, temple, that had been erected by Herod to the, to the Godhead of Caesar. That is, Caesar was declared a God. So in the midst of these pagan temples to the god Baal, there was this massive, marble, beautiful, white temple that stood up you know, in the foothills that was erected to the Godhead of Caesar. And there was an inscription on this magnificent temple that read, Kaiser Hecurios, Caesar is God. Now Jesus is standing there, some, some have suggested he might have been even leaning against the pillar of that great temple, at least standing in the shadow of it, and surrounding him are these monuments erected to pagan gods, and above him is the inscription, Kaiser Hecurios, Caesar is God. And he leans over to these, this group of 12 men and asks the question, who do people say that I am? And they responded spontaneously. Well, they said, well, some of, you, some of them are saying that you're John the Baptist. Well, John the Baptist was dead. I mean, he'd already been beheaded. I'd like for you to just take your finger and look back to the 14th chapter of the book of Matthew. I want to show you something. In verse 1 of chapter 14, it says, At that time Herod the Tetrarch, Tetrarch heard the news about Jesus and said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead. And that's why miraculous powers are at work in him. Now, now, when Herod, the man who had John the Baptist executed, heard about what Jesus was doing, he either had a tinge of guilty conscience and said, my goodness, Jesus, John the Baptist is risen from the dead. Or he used this as a diversion to so that people would not believe in Jesus, the power of this man who is doing all these miracles. Brother, this power, supernatural power, has been given to John the Baptist who's come back from the dead. One of the two, take your pick. But he's, they said, he's, this is John the Baptist, risen from the dead. Some said, why, you're Elijah. Now, Elijah is the prince of the prophets. He died 900 years before this happened. But Malachi says that before Messiah comes, Elijah will come back from the beyond and he'll be a forerunner of Messiah. And so they're saying, in essence, you may not be Messiah, but you're at least the forerunner of, the Messiah, of Messiah. Some say, well, you know, just kind of in passing, some say that you're Jeremiah. Swanner says that these answers were wild and fluctuating guesses. I love that. You ask anybody about Jesus, and what you get are wild and fluctuating guesses. But Jesus had enough of that, and so he said to these men, what's your opinion of me? Oh, man. It gets a little tougher when it gets down to that kind of question. What's your opinion of me? What do you think about me? What do you believe about me? Who, who am I to you? See, I mean, everybody up and down the street, you folks sitting out, you know, that's no big deal. But, but when it comes to the answer that I have to give, what about your opinion of me? What do you think about me? Now, I don't know how long it took before, between how much time elapsed between 
verses 15 and 16, but enough time for those people to look around and they saw all these temples to these pagan gods and they looked around and they saw this massive temple erected to Caesar, the godhead of Caesar, and they saw that inscription, Kaiser Hecurios, and they knew that Jesus didn't have a Roman endorsement. In fact, the Romans wanted to kill him because they, they thought that he was there to, to uh, lead an insurrection against the Roman government and set up a kingdom as, with himself as king. And he didn't have the Jewish endorsement because they thought he was claiming to be God and there is no God but one. And so in this pause there, they must have been thinking, now this is a pretty heavy and difficult question. And Simon can't stand it any longer. He, he's the guy that coined the phrase, don't just stand there, say something. Right. And he, so he, he popped out with an answer as though he was speaking for the whole group. He said, thou art the Christ, that is, the anointed Thou art the Messiah of Old Testament. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the God, the one who is alive. What an answer. It's a specific answer. It's an answer that came by revelation. What a response it evoked from Jesus. And Jesus, when he heard that answer, he gave him a beatitude. He said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Now, I took a little time to um, find out what people think about Jesus. Here are some of the findings. Gerti called him the divine man, the holy one. The divine man, the holy one. Renaud, the French critic who earlier tried to tear the Bible asunder, called Christ a man of colossal dimensions, an incomparable man, Whatever may be the surprises of the future, he said, Jesus will never be surpassed. Shakespeare wrote in his will, I commend my soul unto the hands of God, my Creator, and hoping and assuredly believing that through the merits of Jesus Christ, my Savior, to be made partaker of everlasting life. Lord Byron, if ever man was God, or God was man, Jesus Christ was both. James Greenleaf Whittier, my ground of hope for myself and humanity is in the divine fullness of love which was manifested in the life and teaching and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Charles Dickens, I commit my soul to the mercy of God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I now most solemnly impress upon you the truth of the Christian religion as it came from Christ himself. Tolstoy, a great Russian writer who once was an atheist of the wildest sort. For 35 years of my life I was not a revolutionary socialist but a man who believed in nothing. Five years ago my faith came to me. I believe in the doctrine of Jesus Christ and my whole life underwent a sudden transformation. Life and death ceased to be evil. Instead of death and despair, I tasted joy and happiness that death could not take away. And many of you may not know this, but Napoleon spent the latter part of his life, the few, last few days of his life, on the barren island of St. Helena. 
And he began to search the scripture. He took up the scripture and began to study. And before he died, he wrote in his journal, this is Napoleon, I know men, and I tell you, Jesus Christ is not mere man. Superficial minds see a resemblance between Christ and the founders of empires and the gods of other religions. That resemblance does not exist. There is between Christianity and whatever religions, other religions, there are a distance of infinity. His religion is a verdict from an intelligence which certainly is not that of a man. One can absolutely find no evil in him alone. I searched in vain in history to find one similar to Jesus Christ or anything which could approach the gospel. Neither history nor humanity nor the ages offered me anything with which I am able to ignore it or explain it. Hallelujah. I could read this. I could read on and on for, for hours on that. So who do you say I am, he said. And, and, and they begin to say just what these men said. So much for these people. Now, the question you've anticipated. Who do you think he is? Who do you say Jesus is? That is a question that you will have to answer. Now you will, when you stand before the bar of God and you have to, having drawn your life's, your last breath on earth, you'll have to answer that question then, if not, if you don't do it now. And the only right answer is the answer Peter gave. You are the Christ the Son of the God who is alive. Now before you make a decision as to how you're going to answer that, just think for a moment. Think about a couple of things. Just think of this temporal life. Compare Jesus Christ to anyone else in this temporal life. There is no one else qualified to forgive your sins. Let me, let me tell you something. I've been dealing with people in religious context for 36 years. I have found people who have sought forgiveness everywhere and have found no forgiveness except when they came to Jesus for forgiveness. They sought it from people. They have sought it from mind uh, uh, experimentation. They fought, sought it from, from uh, all kinds of, of involvement with religion. And they found forgiveness only when they came to Jesus Christ. Consider this, this temporal life. No one is qualified to forgive you but Jesus. No one will stay close to you when everyone and everything is stripped from you than He. No one can heal your diseases. The best human beings, the best man can do is just prescribe medication. No one can turn bitterness to relief or grief to joy. He's the only one who can do something about every need you have. He's the only one who can bring joy and love and tenderness back. He's the only one who can restore life that has been brutalized from you by an abusive world. He's the only one in this life who can do that. And if you can find anybody else who can do it, I want to meet him. 
But think not just of this temporal life. Think about eternity. He's the only way into heaven. I was preaching, um, I've shared this before, but I'll do it again. I was preaching in a little revival meeting out in Gresham, Oregon. I met somebody the other day who is a member of that church, first person I've, ever, I've met since then. But back in the mid-70s, I was preaching revival in Gresham, Oregon. It was a, they were meeting in a Grange Hall. That's kind of a VFW type deal, or not VFW, but some kind of a fraternity deal. Well, who cares? I mean, it's a Grange Hall. And, and this preacher was, was a new pastor there, and he came there, had four members of that church, and he started winning people to the Lord, and the four members got jealous, and they left. So everybody in the church, he either won to the Lord, or they joined from other places uh, since he'd been there. Everybody was brand new. It was the most exciting church I've ever preached. Besides this one, of course. <laughs> this is top, top two. All right. And I was preaching that night, and there was a, there was a man of the a Muslim faith there, and he was with this girl that she brought him. She'd been saved, and he came. And so I was preaching on, um, on, the, uh, on Jesus, and I talked about he's the only way to God. After the service was over, this guy came up to me and said, I, I was really insulted by what you said tonight. And I said, well, let's talk about it. I'm sorry. So I was going to get a whipping right there. He said, I said, what insulted you? He said, well, I'm a, he said, I'm, I, I'm, I believe in Muhammad. He said, I believe that Jesus is a way to God. He said, I believe there are many ways to God. And Allah is his name. And I, I, believe in, I believe in Jesus is one of the ways to God, but not the only way. You said that the only way to God is through Jesus. I said, well, now, let me, let me ask you this. Let's just talk about this a minute. I said, if Jesus were, an, were a liar, if he, told, if he told lies, if he said he was a, something that he was not, and he told lies, would you say he was a, an imposter and a deceiver? And an imposter and a deceiver could not be a way to God, could he? And he said, no. I said, well, Jesus said he was the only way to God. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. I said, either he is the only way or he is no way. I mean, he's an imposter and a liar, and he's a farce and a fraud. Now, the only way into heaven, the only way to God is through Jesus Christ. This is what the Scripture says. No one knoweth Jesus, no one knoweth the Son, save the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, or he to whomsoever the Son has revealed him. What he's saying is this, that the only way you will ever know God is through the revelation of His Son, Jesus Christ. Now that means that the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ, is through faith in Jesus Christ alone, justification by, Christ, by faith in Jesus Christ alone. And so he steps into the, into the tomb with us, takes us by the hand, and leads us into heaven. Does this Lord. It's pretty important what you think about him. Now I want to say just in closing, that's the word you're looking for, closing. I want to say in closing concerning your opinion about him. Now, now, I was doing my quiet time, and I'm doing my quiet time in the book of Luke, and I'm working in my journal, and so I'm taking a verse a day. It's taken me forever to get through Luke. But I was working in Luke the other day at this same verse of Scripture. It's in the Luke, the Luke account in the ninth chapter. And this word came God from, straight from God to me. 
Now, I know, Gerald, that your opinion of me is that I'm the Son of God, the Son of the living God, that I am God and man, God-man. I am divine. I am God. But what is your opinion of me as a believer's opinion of me? I mean, what do you think about me? And I started writing that down in my journal. This is, what, this is what's in my journal. I'll let you read it if you want to. You don't, you know, just make sure you believe what I'm saying. Is your opinion of me, this is what I'm hearing from, God, from the Lord, is your opinion of me something that is based upon circumstances? That is, one day you think I'm great, and the next day you don't think I'm so great on the basis of how your day went, your circumstances went? I mean, is your opinion of me something that, that, that uh, fluctuates with the circumstances of life? That is, do you have to make, decide your opinion of me every day on the basis of how your day went? Or do you have an opinion of me that never changes on the basis of circumstances? Good question. I won't, have, I won't tell you what I put down in my journal as an answer, but I'll let you, what's your opinion of him? I mean, do you base your opinion on, on how things go as far as circumstances and trials? And is your opinion of Christ as a believer based upon some misconception of what you think Jesus owes you because you've been so good? And so Jesus leaned over in the shadows of that great temple and he asked a question that echoes throughout time. What do you think about me? Let's pray together. Our Father, we know what others have said, what the Bible says and what Peter said, what they believed. Help our unbelief. Help us to know tonight that Jesus Christ is our Lord and our Savior, our kurios. And help us to live like it, for I pray in Jesus' name. Now I want to ask you tonight if there are those of you who need to, who need to settle this matter of Jesus Christ, your relationship to Him. You walked in this room tonight, and all of a sudden you've been confronted with a question for which you have no real answer. The only answer that's the right answer is the answer Peter gave. Or maybe tonight you have a, you've been kind of angry at him and you've been disobedient. I mean, there's, there, you know, I mean, if he's what he says he is and he's what you say he is, don't you, doesn't he deserve your life? Sounds to me like he does. Maybe you need to make that kind of commitment. While we stand to sing, we invite you to come.